Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, September 6th, second week of the U.S. Open, getting ready to get underway. Fourth round matches starting today on Sunday, and it's going to be some great tennis. Of course, we still have day six to recap, and what a third round we were treated to. It seems like we are finally seeing the generational shift on tour that so many of us expected to come. We have 10 next-gen players making the round of 16 on the men's side, six next-geners on the women's side. It has been such fun tennis. Joining me to break down day six to preview day seven, as he has throughout the first week of the U.S. Open. You, of course, know him as our Cracked Rackets Do Everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated coach in Missouri high school tennis history, and, of course, a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing this morning? Not too bad. I'm uh, I'm feeling rejuvenated. I got a day break from you um, off the pod, <laughs> so I'm back and I, I'm I'm all ready now. You know, every so often you got to throw one of those in there. I'm well aware, and yeah, I, I mentioned that on yesterday's podcast as well. I wanted you fresh for today's show because obviously uh, now we hit the home stretch. Now we hit the second week, and if you weren't locked into the U.S. Open during Week One, this is certainly the time to do so. The 16 best players in this event again advancing to this fourth round. We're going to get the first half of those matches on Sunday. The second half on Monday. We'll preview those at the end, of course, as we always do here on this podcast. We'll start with our match breakdowns. We have two for you today that we're going to go in depth about. Then we'll run through the rest of the day's results. Of course, the reason we're able to do this here day in, day out on the mini break is because of the support we get from our sponsors, Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And I continue to say it, our motto here at Crack Rackets, look good, feel good, play good. Is that fair, Jamie? Oh, it's definitely fair. (laughs) <laughs> I'm always trying to look good on the court. The The bigger problem for me right now is getting back on the court, but got to have that stock of uh, Midwest sports gear to get back out. Got a t-shirt, a nice t-shirt. I got multiple t-shirts from them. Um, so now I've got my pure tennis shirts. I've got a new one I haven't even worn yet. I'm going to look great in the coming weeks whenever I uh, whenever I do finally get back out there. And look, if it's good enough for an undefeated Missouri high school tennis coach, it should be good enough for you. Midwest Sports having everything you could possibly need to, as Jamie mentioned, make your return to the court a successful one. They've got racket shoes, grips, strings, grommets, uh, racket frames, you name it all, they've got it. You can find it by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know that we sent you there, but you'll get 15% off your order free to 
30-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Just go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Of course, now you're going to look good. How are you going to feel good on court? And maybe if you're Jamie McDonald, you always feel good on court. It's just a matter of getting on court. But for the rest of us who suffer from aging, our nutrition, our fitness are so essential to our performance on court. And that's where Aerobar comes in. The only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And best of all, as you know, it comes with a podcast. Our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. Offering tips to all of you listeners on how you can focus on those little details to ensure you get your best performance on the tennis court. And then again, I can speak directly. Aero bars are delicious. They're how I start my days. Whenever we're on the road covering an event, it's very simple for me. I'll get up in the morning. I'll go for my run. I'll pound my aero bar, sometimes two aero bars when I'm feeling adventurous. And then my day is started. You can as well purchase yourself some aero bars by going to their website, aerobar.com. You use our promo code CRACK15. You'll let them know we sent you there. You'll get 15% off your order as well. Midwest Sports and Aero Bar, we are so grateful for their continued support. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. But with that in mind, Jamie, let's get to talking about this tennis. And again, fourth round on the horizon. Just so all of you listeners know, we are going to be recapping the first week specifically in a couple of YouTube shows. Jamie going to be joining me. You're going to get to hear us talk about the men's side, our biggest disappointments, biggest surprises, our thoughts moving forward into week two. You're going to get to hear us do that on the women's side as well. So be on the lookout for that for the larger macro thoughts. But just a little tease of what you're going to get in that podcast or in that video, I suppose, Jamie. My first question to you, as we head into this second week of the U.S. Open, how are you feeling about the first week of play? Anything shocked you in particular, or is this about what you expected to see? I mean, hey, listen, of course there's always going to be some results here and there that surprise you, but I think my biggest takeaway so far is that the level of tennis, you know, I've been really happy with. I think I think there were a lot of questions just in both the men's and women's draw, right, around people coming back from this uh, this hiatus of tennis, people coming back from injury, you know, all sorts of different scenarios, but by and large, the tennis has been really good, and especially now that we're getting to the second week, um, it really doesn't seem like there's much rust at all, and it, it we're seeing who put in the hard work in these last few months. Absolutely. And I think we knew there was going to be parity on the women's side. So to see as many three-set matches as we have, to see as many seeds get tested in the ways they have, oftentimes by unseeded players, I don't think that surprised any of us. Case in point, yes, Jessica Pegula lost that match to Kvitova 4-3 and three last night, or two nights ago, I guess. But that was a battle, right? And Jessica Pegula, though unseeded, we know she's playing at a top 20 level right now. So she was going to always push Kvitova. There were always going to be matches like that. For me, the thing that stands out, and it's twofold on the men's side. One, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I want to you know throw this off of you since I have a backboard here now. I would say I don't have a firm position on the best of five set format debate. I completely sympathize and understand why tennis as a product think the matches need to be quicker. I understand the appeal of no ad scoring. I get it all. But I think this U.S. Open, and maybe it's because there's been a a five-and-a-half-month layoff, for anyone who wants to make the argument in favor of best of five, 
point to the 2020 U.S. Open men's singles draw. I mean, dating back to that first round, Nori comes back from two sets to love down to knock off Diego Schwartzman. Obviously, this Alex Diemenauer, Karen Hatchnov match we're about to talk about, it was exceptional. Pospisil Bautista Agut was exceptional. We've, you know, Sinner Hatchinov round one. That's another great one. I just feel like more than ever, Nishioka Murray first round, the, the five-set format, to your point about the good tennis, it's just the fact that these players haven't competed in so long, it, you can just tell their desperation, their desire to be back out there to fight for these wins. I mean, Tiafo Millman's another good example. It's been an exceptional level of tennis, and then Part two, you keep hearing these five-set matches. Who are the winners in them so often? It's these young guys. I mean, the next gen has finally arrived on the men's side, Jamie. And to me, it's just, I, I, it's, they're the now gen. They're here. I, uh, you know, you, I feel like I've heard you say that a few times. And regardless if they're here, I mean, yeah, when you, when you look at who's left in the quarter, or excuse me, going into the second round, and hopefully who will advance into the quarters. Yeah, there's a lot of young names, which is great. But I mean, you also got to remember who's not in this tournament. um, And what that really means moving forward. So, yes, great results from the next-gen folks. Yeah, I think there have been a lot of great five-set battles. And, look, I've always been a proponent of keeping that five-set nature. I mean, look, when you and I do our CR Classics, you know, we're looking at matches that go that distance most of the time, right? Because those are the ones that are etched in history and are come to mind when we think of classic matches, the best matches of all time. So don't need to don't need to tell me about five set. You're preaching to the choir there. Uh, but regardless, <laughs> you know, just within this tournament itself, yes, we've had some phenomenal matches, and, and like I said, the level of play has just been really satisfying for me as a spectator. Yeah, I mean, again, just quickly on this, sometimes five-set matches drag along. I mean, you could watch a five-set semifinal, a five-set final, of course, always, but it's also a semifinal in the final, so you're going to be locked in no matter what. I guess what's jumped out to me is none of these early matches have felt like they've dragged on. All of them, it feels like there have been a remarkable amounts of two sets to love down comebacks, and just the level of tennis in so many of these matches has kept at a high level. Even Sinner, who had a broken back in set number five, was still slapping winners it was unbelievable and so yeah I mean it it's just it's been a really fun for uh first week of tennis I agree with you the level has been really high and it means you know we are in a really fun place heading into week two and with that in mind let's talk about how we got our second half of this round of 16 after these day six results and let's start with the next gen matchup because you know when one of the opening matches on the day one of the matches when we did our GSP ace of the day with Steve from ace previews was one of our favorite lines to stay away from was Alex Diemenauer versus Karen Hatchinov. And I went to Steve and I said, Steve, isn't it weird to you that Diemenauer is the favorite in this one? Hatchinov, the higher seed, shouldn't he probably be the favorite? And, you know, it, it was, we were unsure. It was clearly a toss up. And that's the match we saw. Alex Diemenauer coming back from two sets to one down to knock off Karen Hatchinov. 6 4 oh, 6 4 6 6 3 6 1. I have a lot of thoughts on this match, Jamie, but let's just start first with the result what do you think about Alex Diemenauer's performance today well first of all I just have to say told you so um, because I took <laughs> Alex Diemenauer in this one and you know you and I had talked quite a bit about this and, and you were really worried about the lack of a weapon that Diemenauer had to hurt Hatchinov and, and that's why you saw Karen getting through this one um, look for me I mean 
I was pleasantly, I, well, let's just say this. I was pleased with the tennis here. I think, unfortunately, throughout the fourth and fifth sets, and, and it's indicative not only in the stats, but just the score itself, Hatchinow's level just drops off. And and that's not to take anything away from Damon Hour because his steady and solid presence throughout those fourth and fifth sets are something that's going to make him a great fighter and already make him a great competitor now. Um, but Karen Hatchinow's level, you know, make no mistake, it definitely dropped off, became way less clean. And yes, you can talk about how perhaps that was due to the frustration that Alex Damonauer and his game caused. Um, but nonetheless, if you look at the match as a whole, a really good and really entertaining match, and, and, a, and Alex Damonauer has to feel really good that he got through this one. This was a physical match, and to your point, did Hatchinov's level drop off? Absolutely, but that's a testament to Demonauer, who just tracked down every ball in this match, and I tweeted out during this, and I sent you the tweet, and you were like, Alex, we talked about this last night, and I was like, oh yeah, sorry. Um, but anyways, you know, we, we talked about what is Alex Demonauer's biggest weapon on the court, and unequivocally, it's his movement. It's the way he uses his speed to take balls early, to beat you to the spot, to track down that extra ball, and then you think you can hit a lazy volley. Not lazy, but just a safe volley, and he's so quick he can track down that safe volley, and the last thing in the world you can do is give Alex Dimenauer a second look at a passing shot within a point, and that's what he did in this match. And, you know, one again, credit to the U.S. Open website. When their stats are working, they have the most, uh, they have just the largest a variety of stats available for you. Um, in this match, for distance covered per point, Demon Hour at 47 feet per point, Hatchnov at 41.2. You very rarely see margins in uh, feet per point larger than two feet separation between the two players. What this tells me, to your point, this match was on Karen Hatchinov's racket for the majority of it. He was the one who was hitting the big serve or hitting the big return and setting up forehands, moving Demonauer around the court. But to your point, Demonauer tracked down everything. And 42 winners against 50 unforced errors doesn't sound great, but that's really good when you're on your back foot for the majority majority of a five-set match, and I mean, even with the lopsided fifth set, Demon Hour only a two-point total point advantage over Hatchinov. This match was fought on the margins, and Demon Hour just kept making that extra ball, and to your point, Karen Hatchinov's level, he just wasn't able to keep up the level of dictating he showed in sets really one through three, and I thought he could have won that fourth set. Demon Hour got an early break, but Hatchinov had it ton of chances in this match. I just, in the end, he he lost confidence in his forehand. He lost, con- you know, he wasn't confident moving forward. You look at Hatchinov, 13 of 27 at the net, and that's simply because Alex Demonauer is too quick. He tracks down the extra ball. He just puts that seed of doubt. He plants it in your head, and then it becomes very difficult to move forward on him and play the sort of game style you want. Now, Let's get to the argument you and I were having in, in our text exchanges about Alex Demonauer's ceiling. Because, yes, he stayed alive in this match. He did. He put himself in a position said, hey, Karen Hatchinov beat me. And Hatchinov wasn't able to do that today. But I still—I guess my question to you, is Demonauer's movement good enough that it is a big enough weapon to win him matches easily? Because I just— I don't know in his game, and we can talk about the stats uh, as we get into this discussion, but I just don't see the easy weapon. Everything in this match was still really hard for Alex Diemenauer. He just was good enough to win. Sure. So, I mean, I think, and this gets, uh, I apologize, not for the for the listeners here, but for you and I, because I know this is just rehashing something we at least talked about partially. So, for me, I think it's it's 
not necessarily that there's a distinct weapon right now that you're used to seeing, right? You want to look at a player, specifically a next-gen player, and be like, man, Shapovalov's forehand is a weapon, or FAA's forehand is a weapon. And you want to, because it's it's really easy to look to, like look at that and say, hey, this is how they're going to win points moving forward. This is why they're going to have a great career. Alex de Manure, I mean, I could make the same argument, and I did partially. I think his forehand has a ton of room to develop, and I think it will become a bigger weapon. But right now, you're right. It is the movement. And for me, it goes further than that as well. He's got the package of the movement and just the ability to neutralize the weapons. Because Hachinov, so we talk about this match was on Hachinov's record. He was dictating. And yet somehow he hits 10 less, fewer winners than Alex Demenauer throughout this entire match while hitting double the amount of unforced errors of those winners, right? He goes 32 and 64. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can talk about Hachinov not playing his cleanest and as the, this match wore on, that's absolutely fair. But you also got to look at how well Alex de Manoa neutralized all of Karen Hatchnow's weapons, the forehand from the baseline. Also, think about the serve. If you look at the effectiveness of Hatchnow's serve in this match compared to his previous ones, it's just alarmingly different. And that's because Alex de Manoa is so solid off the return and gets himself into neutral ball rallies off of, uh, off of starts of points. So, I, to me, he has a lot of potential weapons, as you call them, and they're not exactly conventional, right? It's not a huge serve, huge first forehand, and, and there we go, right? But you're, I think that his movement is a notch above, and I think it'll continue to get better. Um, and it's something that's going to get him free points, so that the fact that he competes every single point like it's the last, and he has potential on the forehand side. Even his backhand is phenomenal, too. I think he's just really solid all the way around, and, and I don't necessarily see that as a negative. Well, there are two ways to neutralize an opponent, right? There's just hit the big serve, hit the big forehand, take the ball off the racket, do the, you know, just just take the ball out of the off the racket. That's the easiest way to put it. That's what O'Reilly Opelka does. That's what, you know, Stefano Tsitsipas does with just the way he relentlessly attacks a Berrettini, a Rublev. That's what they're trying to do. And then there's what Alex Diemenauer does, which is just take away everything you want to do on the court. Oh, you think you're going to hit the big forehand? No, I'm going to track that down. I'm going to get the ball deep with pace, and we're, the point is back at neutral. And you're, you're absolutely right to that extent. The way he uses his movement, again, to leverage attack, to play outstanding defensive tennis, to force Hatchinov, as you mentioned, into pressing and committing double the amount of unforced errors he hits winners, uh, the fact that he seems to make every return or just he'll put that return in play. You're absolutely right. That's a weapon. But, you know, the first serve has sneaky pop, I suppose, but he only made 57% of them in this match, won 69% of those points, but 27 of 60 on the second serve, that isn't that very much past the eye test of what I saw because Hatchinov got a lot of clean looks on second serve returns, and just Demon Hour has to play so much chasing tennis. And, you know, again, I, in terms of floor as a player, I think he's, his floor is higher than a Denis Shapovalov because you're never going to get a stinker from Alex Demonauer, or certainly you might right now, but once he's 24, 25, I just, I think he's going to rip off quarterfinals at hardcourt majors like it's his job, and it is his job. It's when you get to matches six and match seven, and it's just where is he going to make life easy for himself late in the second week of a major, that's what I'm doubting more than anything else, because I agree with you. His ceiling as a tennis player is tremendously high. The question is, or his floor, excuse me, the question is what's the ceiling? Yeah, and, and I get that. And again, I think this goes back to the fact that it's much easier to sort of pinpoint that when somebody has a distinct weapon, right, that mm -hmm. you want to be look at and you're like, oh, man, his forehand is huge. Or Opelka serve, wow, that's nice. He can hit 150, right? Like, 
Mm-hmm. So obviously that's much easier to point to. I mean, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with Alex Damanauer and his current path. Like I, I really like the player that I think he's going to become. Yes, I don't think any of us know quite where he's going to be at the top. I think more matches like this, though, where he proves that he can take out the guy with bigger weapons is going to be a huge thing for him moving forward, though. Yeah, and he'll have another shot to do that in his round of 16 match against Vashik Pospisil tomorrow, which will be a very interesting one, and we'll get to that, uh, I'm sure, tomorrow. But let's move on to our next match now. And yes, Demon Hour is up and coming. We still wonder what his ceiling is. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. None of us wondering what Serena Williams' ceiling is. We all know what the 23-time Grand Slam champion is capable of, although we were also doubting whether we were going to get to see the best Serena at this U.S. Open. Certainly in the events in the lead-up to this Grand Slam, she was not playing her best tennis. But, Jamie, she seems to have found her form here in the third round. Drops a first set 6-2 to an informed Sloan Stevens, and we'll get to that side of the equation, I'm sure. But Serena able to bounce back 2-6-6-2-6-2 win for her in this match. Jamie, I have said all tournament long, I do not consider Serena Williams the favorite to win this U.S. Open. It's getting harder and harder to stand by that statement. Yeah, she looked good in this match, and and she did exactly what we've seen her do countless times, right? She comes out of the gate, the opponent is playing really well, she's not playing her best, drops the first set, doesn't matter, shrugs it off, wins the next two convincingly. I mean, how many times have we seen this story play out? And um, you're absolutely right. I think everyone has to consider her, you know, I don't know about a favorite, but a serious contender at this point. And, you know, we talked about this leading up in our WTA preview. You know, I had, I can't remember which bracket actually but I believe I had Serena actually going through and you know it was more of just a gut pick same thing when I had you know Federer or Nadal in the finals of 2017 Australian Open I was like ah this seems fun right so <laughs> and, and look if you're betting on Serena over the course of the years yeah it's been a pretty safe bet obviously so many more question marks in the last few years but now that she's getting back to this form and this is where she becomes even more dangerous. You and I talked about this. If Serena was going to lose, I, you know, if she was going to have a bad result, I think it was going to be early on. It was going to be in the first week. It was going to be one of those random matchups in the draw um, where she ends up bowing out. Now that she's in the second week, it's a whole new Serena because she's been here a million times. She has so much more experience than the people she's going to be playing. She's going to be able to just have that sheer will the opponent has to deal with the fact that even if they win a first set, they really don't have that much confidence because they've seen Serena flip that on its head so many times. So there's a ton of different things to talk about here, but I think the main one now, as you mentioned, is that Serena is in serious contention for this title. Yeah, and look, this is a really dumb anecdote, but I had a college roommate who, I, I won't lie, he was pretty you know, well-sculpted. He was a big guy, and so uh, he liked to think he was intimidating. He liked to throw around. I mean, that's actually not true. He was he was not intimidating, and that was what was so funny about him is, yeah, he lifted a lot, but uh, it, that did not reflect his personality at all. But one time, this guy just kept annoying him. I, I don't remember. I mean, I 
whatever the the details of the story are irrelevant but this guy just kept you know poking him and poking him and poking him and he was like dude listen i'm not gonna fight on you but if we're gonna fight i think everyone's gonna bet on me so like back away and that's how i feel about serena williams at this point every match she gets into it's like look i'm not trying to scrap with you opponent but if things get close you're gonna want to bet on me at this point because she just keeps executing uh, when she finds these deficits and she keeps finding this level and that level gets higher and higher and I mean in this match 60% on her first serve but she won 78% of those points she found it in herself to go you know 29 winners against 23 unforced errors Sloane Stevens made 79% of her first serves in this match it didn't matter Serena in this one 4 of 10 on breakpoint chances Sloane Stevens 2 of 5 it just it doesn't matter what you throw on her at this point Jamie if you're going to bet on someone bet on Serena yeah absolutely and I'm glad you mentioned sort of the effectiveness on serve you know because for me that was a huge story in this one and you know Serena obviously you know you want to talk about obvious weapons like we were talking about on the men's side Serena Williams serve is certainly that for her and if you watch throughout the course of this match and sets one two and three I mean you can just see that serve getting more and more effective and doing more and more damage right she wins 61 percent on her first serve in the first set that jumps to 84 in the second, jumps to 92 in the third. And so what that tells you is that her serve just became more and more dangerous and harder and harder for Sloane Stevens to handle as Serena Williams went through this match and eventually closed it out. Yeah, and I mean, for Sloane Stevens, you have to give her some credit. Sloane, you know, has not had a good past 24 months really on tour, and she struggled with her confidence. She struggled with finding out what she wants to do, what she wants to, you know, her game style to be on a point-by-point basis, and so much credit belongs to her. Uh, she deserves for her performance in this one. She played such high-percentage tennis. She made the match as physical as possible. And in the first set, again, you know, 79% of her first serves go in in this match. She just, she kept making that first serve. She kept making that extra ball. She kept getting Serena stretched to the outer third and saying, hey, Serena, we're going to grind today. And if you think you can outgrind me, credit to you, uh, but I'm going to make you beat me physically. And that Serena, and, and she said it in her post-match conference, she said, when I play Sloan, it's always a good test of my fitness. She passed that test with flying colors today. And, you know, again, credit to Sloan. And unfortunately, she wasn't able to get over the hump in this one. But it's because Serena wrote her level raised so high. And I haven't seen that Serena. I've seen her come back from a set down, but I haven't seen this level uh, since tennis restarted in 2020. This is the first time I've seen that. Uh Oh, this is a dominant player. Serena's now in the second week. Get out of her way. Yeah, she looks really good at this point, and I think the the most promising thing for her, you know, it's not like she just escaped this match, right? Mm -hmm. She got better and better, and as you mentioned, her level got better throughout the match. So she's got to be having a ton of confidence, as if she didn't, as if she needed any more, given her experience and and performance, past performance at this event, right? Um, So now she's got to be feeling even better, and yeah, watch out the rest of the draw. Yeah, absolutely. Any thoughts quickly on the Sloan Stevens performance? I mean, listen, I think she did a good job of capitalizing on Serena not playing her best in that first set. Um, I think that's really promising. And hey, listen, there's a silver lining. Anytime you come out of a match with Serena and take a set off of her, um, you know, I think that's great. Now, I'm glad for Sloane. This wasn't a match where she completely blew it or anything like that, right? I mean, Serena's level was just so high in sets two and three. Um, I think for me, Sloane Stevens had a bit of a bit of trouble um, just getting free points. And, and I know, obviously, her game, clearly not as big as Serena's. Um, 
but just even on the serve, right? Serena gets 12 aces throughout this match. Sloan doesn't get a single one. Um, so just things like that where she, I think there are times where she had opportunities to get a few more free points. But listen, overall, um, I think if you're Sloan Stevens, you're, you're walking away from this match fine. You took a set off Serena. She raised her level and played phenomenally. You made her work for it. Uh, match that went almost two hours. I, I mean, it is what it is. Obviously, there's some things that she would like to have back, right? Um, she didn't play that well at the net, you know, there's t tons of things that you could look at, right? She ends up positive in the winners to unforced errors category. She's probably, again, walking away from this match thinking she did okay at the least. Yeah, no, could have taken more chances probably, but made the match as physical as possible, and that was her biggest strength heading into this one. So for Sloan, you know, she made the third round at last year's Wimbledon, but I think this is probably her best result since that quarterfinal at the French. I thought she looked really good here uh, during this U.S. Open in New York, and so yeah, you're looking for the little things to bounce back for. She definitely has that working for her. Uh, but with that in mind, let's get to the rest of the day's results, and we're not going to break this one down in depth, but because I think we all know what it looked like. But Vashik Pospisil continues to rock and roll. Another upset for the PTPA co-president as he knocks off Roberto Bautista Agud. 7-5-2-6-4-6-6-3-6-2. We knew a big serving Canadian was going to be a threat at the U.S. Open, Jamie. We just didn't know which one it was going to be, I guess. Yeah, well, we thought we knew, right? Um, but no, <laughs> Vasquez Bospisil has looked phenomenal. And I mean, being able to beat a guy like Batista Agut, um, look, this is just impressive any way you slice it. Um, Batista Agut is never going to be an easy out, always going to push you. I think something in this match that Pospisil was able to do is he was just able to impose his game on RBA. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, look, if he's able to impose his game with those huge weapons and he's doing that well, what else can you do, right? I mean, Batista Agut did well to get a couple of sets in this. Once he won the second and third, I did think that he had this match in the bag. I thought Batista Agut was going to take the fourth and run with it, right? Because how many times have we seen a close opening set and then uh, the rest of the match just get reset? But tons of credit to Vasek Prospisil here for jumping back on that, getting the fourth 6-3, and just riding through to the finish line on those big weapons. He's looked so good throughout this tournament. Yeah, I mean, the number I would turn to, 71 winners against 65 unforced errors. And even if you take aces out of that equation, he has 52 winners against 58 unforced errors. Against Roberto Bautista Agut, that's really freaking good. That's really, I mean, to be, to play that decisively, to play that aggressively, especially after sets two and three when Bautista Agut was tracking down the extra ball, was putting the return at his feet, was making things difficult for him when he tried to move forward, it just it shows how confidently Bashik Pospisil is playing right now, and we saw him make a couple of big runs indoors uh, before the season stopped. We saw his level start to pick up. He was back inside the top 100. This just reaffirms that he is playing good tennis again. He's finally healthy in this match, 29 of 45 at the net, but again, that doesn't count in all of the misapproach or mispassing shots from RBA that count as forced errors. It was just, yeah, I mean, if he's going to serve and play this big and this confidently and just take his chances, put matches on his racket, there's no reason he can't beat Alex Diemenauer, and so that's a fascinating fourth-round matchup for me. One last thing on RBA, obviously this was a great opportunity for him, but I don't think he's going to knock himself too much. I also did learn in some of the U.S. Open media videos that he did. His nickname, his friends call him Bauti. I'm definitely going to call him Bauti from here on in. 
I like that. About to. Yeah. Um, yeah. The one the one last thing I will say on this match, and this probably could have flipped the script entirely, Bautista Agut had so many chances, right? I mean, the break mm-hmm. chances really pile up for him. And, and so you feel for him in some ways because he created chances for himself. You know, in the fifth set in particular, he has break points doesn't convert a single one of them and in, in set number five. So you got to feel for him a little there because he stayed in this match. Um, but credit to Pospisil for coming up with the huge serves and the big plus one shots, you know, when his back was against the wall. Yeah, Pospisil also hit a drop volley. It was the deuce game. I think it gave Pospisil the 5-2 lead in because I think Pospisil broke to win the match, but uh, yeah. he, it was the hold for the 5-2 lead. Pospisil hits this forehand cross-court drop volley that, I mean, it dropped my jaw. I was just like, I cannot believe the Huevos on pa- Vashik Pospisil to try that shot, add in 4-2 fifth set. I was like, this guy is feeling himself right now. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he is on fire, absolutely. And again, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, Uh, because he's got a good shot to make his first quarterfinal in singles. That was the upset on the men's side. On the women's side, two seeds going down to unseeded players. Alizé Cornet, a name we circled as someone we thought the draw looked had opened up for her. She would have an opportunity against, you know, either a Teichman or a Keys to make the fourth weekend. She ends up doing that. Alizé Cornet, 7-6-3-2. Keys having to retire. She was in, her neck was bothering her, and obviously, you know, we're hoping for a speedy recovery from her. She looked so good in her first two matches. It was so encouraging, but, you know, without... It, you don't want to take anything away from Alize Cornet because there's a reason we circled her as a player who could make the second week, and she just looks good, Jamie. Yeah, she does look good, and I will say, interestingly, when I, I did have her going to the fourth round, but it wasn't because she was beating Keys, right? It was mm-hmm. because Teichman came out of that section, and she was beating another unseated player. But regardless, yeah, phenomenal for her to get this done. Um, and yeah, unfortunate that, that it ended up in a retirement from Keys. Again, as you said, hoping that she's doing well because the level we saw from Keys, I mean, she was blowing people off the court. So um, unfortunate to see it end this way. You know, Keys had been undefeated against Cornet coming in in their head to head. So for Cornet to grab that first set was absolutely vital. Um, Overall, a good performance. Obviously, Cornet is somebody who's going to be really tricky and going to just be a major pain for anybody who's on the other side of the net. Um, Ultimately gets through, and now she's got a huge opportunity for herself. Yeah, I mean, it was a really good performance for her. Again, she made that extra ball. She with you know she took the keys serve, made that return, and just played the big targets. With then the focus for her on the return wasn't you know angle or placement. It was depth. It was just stay alive with this return shot, open up the point for myself, make this match physical. It was really impressive for Alize Cornet, who again deserves uh, to be in the fourth round given her level these past three weeks or two weeks, I suppose, in New York. Another upset win on the women's side. Perankova follows up her win over Garbine Muguruza by knocking out Donna Vekic 6-4, 6-1. I watched this match, Jamie. I'm not going to lie. It was an ace of the day for me. And obviously, I was on the Vekic side. I wasn't sure Perankova was going to be able to follow up her performance against Muguruza. And to Perankova's credit, she did. She played high margin tennis. She just played to big targets. She made that first serve. She got Vekic stretched. But with all due respect, this was just a stinker from Donna Vekic. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And honestly, this is the sort of, not to be too negative, but this is the sort of performance I expected from Donna Vekic earlier in the draw, which is why I didn't even have her um, getting to the third round. So I'm not surprised to see it go down this way. Really crazy to me that this match was an hour long. 
Like, how is it not longer than that? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just my own bias because the fact that I can make an O and O match last two and a half hours. But regardless, <laughs> you go out there and it's like, really, four and one is an hour. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, right? Vekic just not clean in this match. Um, gave up way too many free points, particularly on Peronkova's serve. Right, Donovic had plenty of chances to get the return in play and really get to the point to a neutral rally and just completely fell flat on those opportunities. So um, a lot of unforced errors on the side of Donovic. It's just, you know, again, we're not going to break it down and, and probably shouldn't because it wasn't a great match or great performance. But regardless, unfortunate for Vekic, just not a clean one for her. I mean, yeah, she it was just spraying left and right. I mean, Prankova places her serves well, but some of those first serves were coming in at 86 miles per hour, and Donna yeah. Beckage was hitting the back tarp with her backhand return. Exactly. Yeah, and it just it wasn't a good performance for her. And what's so funny, I sent out a poll probably a month ago now, um, and you know my fascination with that 24, 25-year-old generation, Beckage, Conteve, Mertens, and Sakari. I will point out, when I put out a Twitter poll, who's the player uh, you are all most confident in, and everyone said Donna Beckage. She's the only one of that group of four to not make the round of 16 on the women's side. So just a little a little tidbit, a little bit of an update on where we're at with that group of players because I think they've looked outstanding at this U.S. Open. But obviously, Donna Vekic, not the best performance for her today. We only had one other three-set match on the women's side. Carolina Mukova, one of my aces of the day as well, fighting off three match points in a third-set breaker to knock off Serana Kirstea, 6-3-2-6-7-6. I was in the room with super producer Daniel Westoff watching the end of this match, freaking out. Credit to Mukova. Down 6-3. She uh, gets gifted one for, uh, backhand unforced error. I think it was an inside-in forehand unforced error from Kirstea. But other than that, hits a backhand approach down the line winner, which took some huevos on her part to get to 6-5. Then moves forward after hitting a second serve. Um, sticks the backhand volley down the line. How many times do we see that ball float long on players to get to six all big return down the center for her earned match point and then an ace down the tee to clinch it I was so impressed with Mukova today for her to advance Jamie I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that match just wanted to throw that in there yeah, just real quick. I mean, for me, yes, impressive for Mukova, but you got to feel for Kristea here because this was her match to win, right? She mm-hmm. absolutely had this match, um, you know, what seemed, I mean, not completely done, obviously, but it seemed like she was rolling to the finish line, particularly after how good she looked in that second set. Um, you know, she did a lot of things right, but yeah, when it came down to crunch time, just gave Mukova too many opportunities um, and gave away some points here and there, and, and that was that. So an absolute nail-biter, though, right? You can't ask for a closer match in the end. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you, and a credit to the young Mukova again, who's another one of those young players you throw on the list. She's going to be really good for the next 10 years, folks, so get used to hearing that name, Carolina Mukova. As for the other results on the day, let's start with the women's side. And again, there were some really good uh, matches on the women's side that may not have gone three sets, but still were just great fights. And I think you start with Sophia Kennan, 6-3 and three over Own Shabur. She's now won, uh, I think she's 4-0 in the WTA level matches. They've played 4-1 overall, but beats her again to advance to the fourth round. And I continue to be more and more impressed by Sophia Kennan. She had a gauntlet of a draw to face, but she has answered every question asked of her. Her level continues to improve. What do you think of the number two seed's performance? 
Yeah, well, hey, you said it, right? We knew that she had an absolutely brutal section of the draw, and the fact that she has come out of it um, you know, so far the way she has is really impressive. You and I both knew that Jabor was going to be a big challenge for her, and, you know, yeah, six and three, incredibly competitive match, but credit to Sophia Kenyon for keeping this and getting it done in straights because, you know, you lose that second set, or even if you drop that first in the tiebreak, who knows what can happen in the third. So credit to the two seed, she moves on. Yeah, and then you look at the rest of the results there. Again, uh, all pretty straightforward. Maria Sakkari, uh, pretty comfortable win over Anisimova, 3-1. and one. Elise Mertens, Katie McNally coming back, playing back-to-back matches or on back-to-back days. Mertens comfortable in that one. Good first set, but ultimately 7-5-6-1 over McNally. And then Vika Azarenka, a player I know you liked a lot coming into this event. She knocks off Iga Sviatek, 6-4-6-2. Your thoughts on the rest of those women's matches, Jamie? Yeah, I mean, well, so I have to start here because you mentioned it. Azarenka making me look good so far. Another really solid performance from her. Um, so great to see her moving through the draw as an unseated player, but it's kind of unseated with an asterisk, right? Um, and then for me, I, I think just a shout-out to McNally um, because this was, yes, yeah, she ends up bowing out to Mertens here, but A, Mertens has looked so good, somebody that you and I have talked about a ton over the last couple of weeks. This is just a good performance in and out from McNally. Not specifically this match, but this tournament as a whole, a really good showing for her. So unfortunate that she doesn't get to the second week, but hey, it's a good performance for her and something for her to build on, absolutely, because she has so many years of this to come. Mm-hmm. I think you nailed it. Same with Iga Sviatek. And for Maria Sakkari, that was a really good win over Amanda Nisimova. Yeah. Nisimova never had a chance in the match, and that's a credit to Sakkari jumping on her from the onset. You look at the men's results on the day. Again, pretty uh, straightforward. A lot of top seeds advancing. Uh, five of these wins coming from top 16 seeds. You know, team, four sets over Chilich, Medvedev straight sets, uh, Berrettini straight sets, Rublev straight sets, Ogier Aliasim straight sets, and Francis Tiafo back into the fourth round of a major straight set win over Fucevic for him. Your thoughts on the rest of the men's results? Yeah, I think, honestly, most of these are pretty much what I expected. Um, Some of them a little more lopsided than I would expect, looking specifically at Rublev and FAA, just looking so solid and winning in straight sets, but also just convincing, right? I mean, 0-4-0 and 1-0-4, those are huge wins. I would say the one that surprised me a little bit was the Tiafa-Fucevic result. Um, You know, not that Tiafa won, but the fact that it wasn't a closer match. Um, I think Fucevic probably still gassed from his encounter with Grigor Dimitrov, so, you know, fair enough, but Fucevic just didn't look like himself out there um, but credit for to Francis Tiafo for just being so solid and getting this done and you know how great is it for him now that he doesn't have to go through another five set battle right a two three and two win to move to the second week that is huge for Francis Francis Tiafo has played nine sets coming into this third round. It's not like he hadn't played physical tennis. He also tested positive for COVID a month ago. And so for him to come back, have this sort of performance, it's, again, it, you see the forehand and all the same questions remain, yet it's just so clear in the three out of five set format, this guy knows how to win matches. And it's why we will forever be enticed by his talent. Yeah, Rublev made it look too easy. Medvedev, too easy. Uh, FAA, that's a really smart win for him over Mutu. Mute just kind of jumped on him. Of course, Mute had to play yesterday against Dan Evans as well. But for me, the one that sticks out quickly, Matteo Berrettini. I thought Casper Ruud, just given how the way he had had to sink his teeth into his first two matches, he was playing really good tennis. I thought he was going to give Berrettini a run for his money. This shows me Berrettini's here to play, folks. And I cannot wait for his fourth round match, a rematch of last year against Andre Rublev, because they're going to go through some tennis balls, folks. They may hit the cover off one or two of those. And then 
And just one last stat for you, Jamie, before we get into our day seven preview. I mentioned this at the top. On the women's side, players I consider next gen, my age or, you know, younger. Osaka, Conteve, Sakari, Mertens, Kennan, Mukova, all in. On the men's side, Zverev, Davidovich, Fokina, Chorich, Shapo, Demonauer, Berrettini, Rublev, Tiafo, Medvedev, FAA. I'm in heaven. It's finally here. Yeah, I mean, listen, you alluded to it earlier in the pod, and it is great to see all this next-gen talent finally getting there after that, quote, lost generation, right? Um, I think we've seen some really impressive performances, and, you know, some we've already had some next-gen against next-gen battles, right? There's a potential for even more names to be here if, you know, for example, a Chorich didn't have to take, off, take out a Sitsipas in five sets to get here, right? Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I, I really like, just as a spectator and someone who wants to be entertained, I really like the way that the draw, um, especially on the men's side, has broken out. It's put a ton of interesting matchups in our head. Um, and now we get to see them come to life, right? These next-gen battles, you know, what we want to see, what we expect to come to, you know, to come of the sport in the next decade. We're, we're getting a preview of right now, right? Um, and there's mm-hmm. such a large there's such a large gap in this too, right? Medvedev, somebody who's already been a runner-up in a Grand Slam, and a guy like Davidovich Fokina, who if we were talking about being in the round of 16 at the U.S. Open, would be like, really? <laughs> you sure? Um, so it's really great that, yes, we have them here all as a class, right, being the next-gen folks, but also recognizing that there is a ton of difference between these players. Really interested to see how it ends up shaking out um, moving into week two. Yeah, and to something you mentioned at the top, no Nadal, no Federer, no Monfils, no Wawrinka. We said... This is the opportunity. Let's see what these guys have, and they have delivered, and they deserve credit for that. So I agree. It's absolutely one of the biggest storylines heading into the second week. Which of those 10, if any, on the men's side can, you know, make a deep run, maybe even give Djokovic a challenge, you know, a run for his money? Uh, obviously, the women's side, the, a lot of those names, Ken and Osaka, they've done it before. The question is, can they do it again here? But with that in mind, you mentioned it. We're going to get a, the chance to see a lot of these guys match up head to head. Let's talk about the ones we're going to see here on day seven and again only eight singles matches on the day so we don't we're not going to break them all down for you but we can talk about you know we can name them all at least without taking 30 minutes as we would have earlier in this tournament on the women's side you have Putin Seva Martic, Osaka versus Kontave, Brady versus Kerber, Rogers versus Kvitova they're all outstanding matches Jamie but if you're locked in on one which one do you pick? I mean, I think we're both looking right at Osaka and Conteve, and bowling that one is the one you've got to watch. Um, you know, Conteve, someone who's looked so good. Osaka, still the favorite in my mind. We, there, Of course, there are question marks about her leg and, and just how she's feeling generally. Hopefully, it doesn't come to anything like that, but expecting a really good match. And whoever comes out of that one, you know, has to be taken seriously as... It, honestly, whoever comes out of that is probably the favorite for the rest of the tournament, barring Serena Williams. No, whoever comes out of that is the favorite for the top half of the draw to advance yeah. to the final. I completely agree with you there. And look, Osaka beat her in three at the Western and Southern. I've spoken at length about how I think Annette Conteve is one of the five best players in women's tennis right now. She's played that well since the restart in August. You're absolutely right. That's a must-watch. And 
What's so great is the contrast of styles we have on display. You want to see grinding. You want to see slice, finesse. Go watch Putin save a Martic. You want to see, you know, big ball bashing, the Rublev Berrettini equivalent on the women's side. Rogers Kvitova is the match for you. You want to see a player ascending to the prime of her game, a player who I think is the favorite in this matchup to advance to the quarterfinals. Go watch Jennifer Brady play uh, Angelique Kerber. I just think Brady is as confident as any player right now in the women's game. I don't know what Kerber's going to be able to do to hurt her, and I am locked in on all of those matches. I agree. I think they're all going to be really, really fun, Jamie. Let's flip to the men's side now. Actually, you know what? Let's do this. Since we have, we can do this quickly. Let's give some picks. Let's put it on the record. Putin, save a Martic. Who you got? Don't need an explanation. Just a pick. Martic. I agree. Osaka, Kanteve. Osaka, unless Kanteve convinces herself to slice to the Osaka backhand, <laughs> then it's Kanteve all day. But no, I got to take Osaka. Spoken like Jamie McDonald. Uh, I mean, I have Osaka to win this tournament. I do think Kanteve is probably the player best suited, not named Serena Williams or Sophia Kennan to beat her. Oh, I'll take Osaka as well. Brady Kerber. This one's really tough because you mentioned it. I really like how Brady's been playing, but Kerber has just been here before and can make balls. So I'm going to go against my better judgment and say Kerber. Perfect. We get to disagree on one. I'll take Brady for all of the reasons we've mentioned. Rogers Kvitova. How, a, how many balls do they break? B, what you know who you got? The longest rally of like four shots. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think... So to me, this is all about Kvitova. And because if she plays really well, it's not going to matter. If she doesn't, I think Rogers is going to win. And I know that's that's unfair because Rogers has great weapons and we've seen how she can impose those throughout this. I'll take Kvitova. I'll take the other lefty. I already took Kerber. Might as well take another lefty. Mm-hmm. No, the reason, again, I want to go in depth a little bit here with picks is just because it was a shorter GSP ace of the day today. I feel like we owe that to you, the listeners. Um, yeah, I'll say this. It, much like for we've had litmus tests on all of these sides, you know, Chil- for team, Chilich was a litmus test. If you're good, you're winning this match convincingly. Early on in the tournament, Hatchnoff, five-set win over Sinner. If he's good, he was going to beat Kuznetsov in straight sets. He did that. If Kvitova wants to be in that same conversation with Osaka, Kanteve, Serena, and Ken, in, she wins this match and she wins it comfortably. And I mean, yeah. um, it, it can be as close as the Pagula one, but it's got to be straight sets. That's what I want to yeah. see from Petra Kvitova today. I'm going to go with her, but Shelby Rogers is playing outstanding tennis, and she's got the sort of game where she can take it to Kvitova, expose you know Kvitova's biggest weakness, which is her movement. So, uh, like you said, four ball rallies max, but they're going to be really fun four balls. Um, all right, let's go to the men's matches now. Djokovic versus PCB, Shapovalov versus Gofen, Davidovich Vokina versus Zverev, George versus Thompson. Which one are you glued in on? Shapovalov, Gofen. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's such an interesting matchup. And for me to hold out and, and have my crazy upset work, I need Gofen to win this one and then win against Djokovic. So I'm holding <laughs> out for David Gofen because I've believed in him since, uh, you know, the first match of the draw when he had to play Opelka. And I'm, I got to keep believing in him now. Yeah, he looked exceptional against Krajinovich, but Shapo's played really good tennis. Four sets in all of his matches, Korda, Kwan, and Fritz, and those are all next-gen guys like himself, but, you know, he's adjusted. He showed different styles, different levels, uh, and just different game plans, and it, it, I mean, again, 
if he wins this match, now you got to start throwing him in the Tsitsipas, Medvedev. Uh, maybe not quite there, but he's at the top of Tier 2 in terms of the next-gen guys. He showed, okay, yeah, I'm starting to rein in that firepower. I'm starting to pick my spots a little bit better, and that was always the question for him is if he can rein it in, look out, because not only does he have top-tier firepower, but, you know, an exceptional athlete, an exceptional mover as well. And GoFan's going to ask every question of him. He's going to put him under a lot of pressure. But Shapovalov's got the firepower edge, and so— uh, yeah, how he responds in this match, uh, the chance to make his first quarterfinal at a major, that's the match of the day without question. The upset of the day, or upset candidate of the day, I should say, probably goes to Jordan Thompson, right? Because for Borna Chorich, physical five-set match. It was the second five-set match he played. And yeah, Borna Chorch fit as a fiddle, but you know who you don't want to play when you've played 10 sets of tennis in your past two matches? Jordan Thompson. Yeah, and, and this is an unfortunate one because... Can't you just see this happening? Can't you just see a Borna George flaming out here and a Jordan mm-hmm. Thompson moving on? And it's unfortunate to say, I think honestly the key for this one in Chorich is to me, he's just a better version of Jordan Thompson with more weapons on the offensive side. So if Chorich keeps that in mind and keeps things in check from baseline, I mean, I really think that if he allows himself to get to neutral points in this, he can wear down Jordan Thompson and then use his weapons because realistically, the way I see Borna Torch losing this match is if he just starts spraying balls, going for too much, and Jordan Thompson doesn't necessarily do anything special except for the fact that he remains on the court. So I think that this is, you know, George can be his own worst enemy in this match, or he can just be really solid and get through it pretty convincingly. I, I expect it to be a good match and a good fight from Jordan Thompson, but Borna Torch should win this match. Yeah, I mean, what you talk about him spraying, if he starts to, what that tells me is his legs are gone, that he can't yeah. make this match physical. I agree with you. He has a better version of Thompson. It's probably, yeah, that's it, a very, you know, and I, I know you're doing this intentionally. It's a simplification of it, but you're right. Like, sure. yeah, there's nothing Jordan Thompson should do to just blow Borna Church, a fit Borna Church off the court. However, we don't know how fit he's going to be. But with that in mind, let's get to the picks. Djokovic, PCB, Karina Busta, quietly, another fourth round. That's what he does. I said that from the get-go, Jamie. I said he's just a fourth round staple at these slams, um, but he's going to take on Djokovic, who's just a you know he's rolling through this draw right now who you got and why yeah I mean I don't I, I don't think you can take anybody but Djokovic in this one um I mean given what we've seen I, it would it would take something crazy for Karina Busta to take this match yeah I Djokovic the the win over Struff are you kidding me like yeah. that was ridiculous um all right we'll get through the easy ones first Zverev Davidovich Fokina another litmus test match for Zverev feels like every match is a litmus test because the litmus test for him is are you going to win a grand slam or not that's the level he's shown but if he is who I think he can be uh you know if this is a match he wins in straight sets so I'm going to roll Zverev who are you thinking yeah, exactly. This match can't be close for Alex Vera to be, you know, seri- taken seriously. And, and that's not a slight to Davidovich Fokina, but just given the difference in where they are right now, Zverev needs to win this match, as you said it convincingly. So I'm saying Zverev, with the level he's been playing, he should have no problem taking care of him. Um, but we'll see. You never know. Davidovich Fokina, a funky player, can definitely throw off the rhythm of Zverev. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree with you. It's going to be a fun one. And I feel like a- ADF's the sort of guy who could get in Zverev's head. And if this match gets mental, oh, I would just love to see that. I love a good yeah. battle mentally. Um, All right, let's start with the upset alert first. Thompson versus Chorich. Which way are you leaning? I think you have to say Borna Chorich. That win over Tsitsipas was really incredible. And, and so for him to let things down after that would be really 
it'd be disappointing, but also be surprising. Um, I think Borna Chorch is going to be locked in. He might be a little tired physically, but I, I still think he can take down Jordan Thompson. So I was talking with Steve from Ace Previews, and I know he's making this one of his aces or picks on the day, and I know he's going to pick Thompson. And I said I would be with you on picking Thompson, but I can't put up any money because if Borna Chorich wins this match and I was picking against him, I will be so mad at myself, much more mad than if he loses and Thompson, and I didn't bet on Thompson because I just, I've been a fan of George for, I just, I, I still, you know, from the get-go, you could see the player. You see what a top 10 version of him looks like. Uh, but I've seen him lose this match so exactly. many times. I, we've seen him lose this match. And so that's mm-hmm. why it's really hard. But just, yeah. And, and so I'm probably going I'm probably going against my gut here by saying Chorich. But it, I, uh, I mean, I, I want Chorich to win, so that's why I'm putting him. Yeah, that's that. fair. I'll roll with you as well since this isn't the ace of the day. This is just the what do you want to see happen of the day. Uh, I'll take George as well over Thompson. Then last one. This is the tough one. Shapovalov, Gofen. Who you got? I'm rolling David Gofen. Um, I think Shapovalov looked really good. He he barely got through that match with Fritz in five. Um, and so a great competitive display from him and, and Shapovalov is always going to be pumped up right there's going to be a lot of energy in this match it's going to be mostly from the Dennis Shapovalov side regardless I think Gofin is a very sneaky candidate to really disrupt Dennis Shapovalov here and if and if Shapovalov isn't on 100% from the get-go he's in a huge world of trouble against David Gofin. Yeah, it was a five-set physical battle for Shapo against Fritz, though he did pull away in the fifth. But he's also got young legs. Like, he is the one pl- – I'm, like, not worried at all. I'm like, yeah, he'll be fine. Um, uh, uh, I just – Gofed says he's fe- – he's like, I don't know about you. He feels like he's 22. Um, and, I mean, he's feeling young. He looks good out there. Yeah, I'll take the momentum pick. Gofed looked really good against Kranovich. I think Sh- – you know what? No. I'm going to go with the next Jenner. Give me Chapo. I have loved what I've seen from him. I think he's going to continue to rock and roll. I will take Chapo. Just think he's going to be solid enough to work. Offense not going to be able to easily hurt him. And I'm going to see him getting to his first quarterfinal. But, of course, again, all of these matches are going to be so exciting. Jamie and I will be back here tomorrow to recap all of the action and, of course, preview the second half of the fourth round. And if you've missed anything from this U.S. Open, know that you can catch up on all of the action by going to our website, CrackRackets.com. You'll find our daily recap mini-break podcast. You'll find our picks for Ace of the Day. Of course, we've got our written content as well. Videos up on YouTube, too, so be sure to go check up them out subscribe to the youtube channel be sure to check out the amazing work of super producer daniel westoff who as always has a of an editing job to do on this one uh jamie though with that in mind any final thoughts before we go watch ourselves some tennis final thoughts specifically on the shapovalov go fan match it's all about the return for dennis shapovalov if he can get points started against go and not give him three points i think he'll win this match if GoFen gets easy points off the first serve particularly, I think it's GoFen. So that's the last thing I'll say, but yes, let's go watch some tennis. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then with that in mind, uh, a huge shout out again to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. Uh, but with that being said, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.